Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House. Episode 87 features part two of Oscar's conversation with Kentucky football great Derek Ramsey. As part of the Camden, New Jersey connection with Art Still, and by the time they were seniors at Kentucky, they were proven winners, leading the Cats to a magnificent 10-1 record in 1977. Derek and Oscar will look back at the 77 season, starting with a rematch of the 76 Peach Bowl opponent, the biggest road win and one of the biggest wins in Kentucky football history came for the Cats on a gray, foggy, rainy day as the number 16 Kentucky Wildcats traveled to Happy Valley to upset the number six Penn State Nittany Lions. And it was Derek Ramsey who put the icing on the cake. That story will get you fired up for Kentucky's upcoming game against Penn State in the Citrus Bowl. As wins racked up that season, so did the injuries, but Derek Ramsey didn't let that interfere with his work ethic on the field. Who was playing with a broken toe against Tennessee and what emotions was Derek feeling after that win against the Vols in correspondence with the fans. Not only did Derek Ramsey earn All-American honors and All-SEC honors, but he was also a 1981 Super Bowl champion and we'll hear about his pro career and playing for the legendary Al Davis for the Oakland Raiders. Derek will also take us through his professional career and we'll hear about the values his mom and dad instilled in him and what his coach Fran Kersey means to him. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House, and his guest, Derek Ramsey. You go into the 77 season, you mm-hmm. open up with a team you finish with, mm-hmm. North Carolina, it's a real struggle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, mm-hmm. lack of a better term, is ugly. <laughs> well, let's, let's back up before we get there. Back in the summer, there was that SEC magazine. They did a feature on me. And the feature, I said that we were going undefeated. And there's this little guy, this little Italian guy that I'm so fond of. He hit the roof. Uh, that little Italian guy with the initials, FC. FC. He calls me and says, Derek, get your butt over to my house. Lived on Tate's Creek Road. That's right. And I live right around the corner over there on Monta Vesta. (laughs) He said, get your butt over here. I said, Coach, what's going on? He said, you know what the hell's going on. I said, all right, I'll be be right over. And so he said, what is this? What what are you saying? Undefeated. He said, this is the SEC. He said, no, by the way, remember, you lost six starters off offense. Three of them being offensive linemen. So how in the heck are you going to do this? I said, Coach, of course. I said, we got the best defense in the country. Don't give me that crap. I said, we got the best defense. He said, okay, all right. And so sure enough, when we go into that North Carolina game, I lost Eddie Smolder. I lost, of course, Warren Bryant, Steve Slates, 
So my two tackles and a guard. Then I lost Charlie Dickerson. Then I lost Randy Burke. And I lost Greg Woods. So I got six new people on that offense. But the most important part was that offensive line. I really matured myself to understand the value of line play. Because for the next three weeks, we had rotating chairs on that offensive line. You you, you opened by beating North Carolina 10-7. Barely beating. Late. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then we go to Waco, Texas. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember flying down there and mm-hmm. feeling pretty good. And mm-hmm. uh, the only thing is, as much as I love and cherish and remember mm-hmm. the great Otis Singletary, they had a Singletary a little bit better than him. Uh, a little shorter and with crazy eyes, too. <laughs> I mean, he wore yeah. us out that day, they Mike had, Singletary. They had Mike Singletary, but they also had a guy named Gary Don Johnson, that defensive tackle. And that guy, of the four years I played as a collegiate, he was probably second to art for his defensive lineman. And the week after us, this guy gets a crackback block, ends his career, he would have been a first-round pick. You lose that game 21 to 6. And yep. I remember flying back from Dallas after yep. the game. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that we went to a bowl last year rather mm-hmm. than this year. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking, well, you know what? Mm-hmm. It's a good thing we did take that ball. <laughs> We're not going to win another game this oh, year. Oh, is that what you thought? I really thought that. Uh, I mean, coming off North Carolina, and like you said, Fran, talking about all those guys you lost on, mm-hmm. and then you lay an egg mm-hmm. in Waco. We didn't lay an egg, oh. All you have to do is go back and look at I never that entire game. The best field position I started with the ball was probably 30-yard line. I know that, but I accepted it more yeah. out of yeah. Derek Ramsey. Oh. I mean, 30, I, I figured you'd take 70 yards. Yeah. You know. yeah. yeah, that one time, right? Yeah. But you uh, came back and you were not to lose again. But mm-hmm. let's just go. Lead me yeah. through the rest of that season. And so, you know, again, it, it was the offensive line. You know, the line that I started with that first game, it was different than the second game. And then after that uh, Baylor game, we go into West Virginia. And so we finally get five hogs that could play together. And we whipped West Virginia convincingly. And I thought, okay, now things are starting to happen. Because on the defensive side, we had only lost one starter. That was Ray Carr. And so I knew our defense was going to hold and what I was looking to, and Coach Moss and I would talk about this all the time, you know, if we could just get these guys to, to play together and start to get everybody to understand the feel for stuff, uh, we knew we were going to be dang good. And so that West Virginia game is when magic started to happen. And the next game was never going to be a trap game in your mind. Oh, Penn State? No. <laughs> No, no. And and in that game, again. There was was low-hanging fruit in that game. Uh, No question. And in that game. uh, Bat started out rainy, nasty. Started out, no, the entire game pretty much was rainy and nasty. And then you had a. They were, if the field conditions weren't as bad as they were, we would kick the crap out of them. You know, and offensively, we got off to a slow start. Dallas made an awesome interception. Then Saganos made an awesome interception. And then we kind of got the thing in there and scored. But, uh, again, I ran out to the center of the field, big old. 
And my old coach over there, Joe Pa, <laughs> went and grabbed his hand again and said, hey, Coach, not bad for a guy that can't win. <laughs> not bad for a guy that can't win. Did he mellow any the second time or not? No. I mean, he just kind of snatched away again. <laughs> I don't know if you remember or not, but, you know, he stole one of our people here about time. You remember the academic guy by the name of Dr. Frank oh, Downing? Oh, Dr. Frank Downing. I, w- I wouldn't say he stole uh, because the Bob Bradley was awesome. Oh, yes, no question. Bob but, Bradley was but, awesome. But what had happened, uh, and I got to know – Dr. Downing, pretty good in the mm-hmm. one year. But on their trip here, mm-hmm. he managed to get an audience mm-hmm. with Joe Paterno. Okay. And he sold Paterno, and you mm-hmm. need what I've got here at mm-hmm. Penn State. Mm-hmm. And he left here and went to Penn State. Well, I am so glad he did. Good. And I'm happy that Dr. Downing's career was successful <laughs> because Bob Bradley was awesome. We uh, we, we did a podcast with, uh, mm-hmm. with him a couple weeks with ago. With Bob? With Bob. It yeah. was really, really good. And, yes. And, and – Tell me, tell me a little bit more about how he affected your life. Uh, how Bob and I became fast friends was Bob came in in 1977, uh, my senior year. And as I said, at that time, I had pretty much full control of the team. And Bob comes in, this young whippersnapper. You know, Bob's probably four years older than myself, four or five years old. And so he comes into the training table, and uh, he said, who's Tom Dornbrook? And Dornbrook said, I'm Tom Dornbrook. Why? And who who are you? He said, oh, well, I'm Bob Bradley, you know, academic guy. Tommy tells him, oh, get out of here. Get out of my face. Don't come bother me now. And so I said, Tommy, Tommy, come on, man. I need you. Bob's our new guy. I need you to work with him. All right, Rams, if you want me to, I'll, yeah, yeah, I want you to. I want you to work with Bob. Bob's a good guy, and he's the guy that's going to make sure that we all graduate. And Bob is like, whew. <laughs> he, he told the great story about John Morelovich. Okay. And he said that he was having some real trouble. A lot of it due to facts, sort of like you suggested, that, hey, mm-hmm. they didn't look at me as an older guy. They mm-hmm. looked at me as an He's no older than I am. Who's he doing telling me what, <laughs> what to, do? to do? That's right. And he said he went to a friend and says, friend, I got problems. He says, mm-hmm. you know, says, there's some guys I'm not going to be able to pull through. And mm-hmm. he said, well, what do you mean? And he told him, he said, I'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. And he called in John Morelovich. Right. And he said, John, you go talk to mm-hmm. Mr. Bradley. Mm-hmm. And as only Bob can tell you, he said, uh-huh. it was one word syllables. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> yes, no. So he says, Give me a list of the guys you got problem with. Mm-hmm. And said so he got him the list and sent them to him. And he said, uh, uh, what are you going to do with him? He said, I'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. Six o'clock morning. Mm-hmm. Don Patrol. Don Patrol. Yeah. And he said he called him and he told him. And he said, well, he said, I need to come over and see them. And mm-hmm. John said, no, you don't. I'll take care of that. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, but I'm responsible. You know, I need, well, if you want to come, come on. Mm-hmm. And said he would go over there every morning and said John would not say one word to him. Mm-hmm. He'd sit there and said one day he said, give me a cup of coffee. And Bob said he was a little bit ticked. I mean, one word and, you know, he's over. Right. Finally, he said, he turned to John and said, John said, and says, hey, you want your coffee? Blah. And he, he talked about how John mm-hmm. took those guys mm-hmm. and got him a lot of respect yeah. early on. And yeah. like you said, mm-hmm. over the 40 years, nobody's meant more. To more to, uh, athletes. You got that right. You got that right. 
And uh, and so you you've got the win under your belt mm -hmm. at Penn State. Yep. Now you're getting ready to go on the road. Mm -hmm. Two of the toughest place mm -hmm. in the South to play at that time. Yeah. You're going into Death Death Valley. Mm-hmm. LSU. Well, but see. But Saturday see. night. Mm -hmm. I mean, where there's no atmosphere in a mm -hmm. world like that. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I agree that is the toughest place to play. But the year before when they had come up to, to Commonwealth, remember, we beat them from start to finish. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a last-minute heroics. We beat them. And, and and so when we go into this place, by then, once our offense old, that's when our offense started to hit on all cylinders. Because if I remember correctly, we go down to LSU and beat them, what, 31 to 7? 33 to 13. 33 to 13. The, the, the one lasting memory of that mm -hmm. game, I mm -hmm. mean, you just, you know. <laughs> I mean, they had one of the little the, uh, premium kickers. Right. That's maybe 5-1, five 5-2, five uh -huh. uh -huh. and he gets his kick blocked. Right. And here comes Art Steele, picks it up. Uh -huh. And once he picks it up, the little 5-1 kid is – five or six yards behind him, and suddenly he's about to catch him up. Yeah. Then all of a sudden he just slows and Art just pulls away from no, him. No, what he did was that kicker made sure he stayed within five yards. <laughs> and after after the game, yeah. they asked the kid, you know, yeah. uh, looked like you'd caught him. He mm -hmm. said, what would I have done if I'd caught That's him? That's right. That's right. So you let him go. You let him go. Yeah. Uh, I had a couple friends, and you probably remember this one guy, Peter Finney, mm -hmm. who was a great writer for the Times Pick You in the New Orleans right. for years and years and mm -hmm. years. And mm -hmm. uh, he said that was the greatest performance he'd seen by opposing team mm -hmm. in his career there. And just so in the very next week, mm -hmm. you go between the hedges. That's right. And mm -hmm. not only are you between the hedges mm – -hmm. You're out there with a coin flip with a young Prince Charles. That's right. You and Art, mm -hmm. two people from Georgia. Georgia. Right. Do you remember anything special course, about that? Of course I do. But but before that, uh, remember who sang the uh, national anthem? So let's give it all praise. Yes. James Brown. That's right. Yeah. So, so. James Brown is Bo. Bo's our producer. Okay. Uh, what was it, Bo, that James Brown name came up here recently? Who's, who who was it that was a that was his favorite uh, performer? Sonny Sonny okay. Collins. Uh -huh. Sonny, we ask him who's the greatest <laughs> performer in your life. And he thought and thought. Well, I guess James Brown, and I right. thought he was going to leap up off the floor. <laughs> but yeah, nice yeah. to anthem, mm -hmm. and then the coin flip. Right. No, that one was also personal to me. It was personal to me because in 1976, Georgia beat us 31-7. to Homecoming at UK. What was memorable about that, and I carried that throughout the entire summer, that being this, they go, we had 410 yards of offense and seven points. My job as quarterback, I'm not a statistical guy. My job is to get us in the end zone. The opening kickoff, Chris Hill drops this ball on about the 10-yard line. Georgia goes in and scores. One of our guys muffed a punt. They got the ball at about the 15-yard line. They go in and score. I'm going down the line just before halftime, and rather than taking what's there, I get cute, 
and I pitch the ball, and Steve Zambezi catches the ball in midair, runs in for a touchdown. It's 21 nothing, and they haven't done anything. And we will get the ball and go from our 20 to their 10, our 20 to their 10, our 20 to their 10, and couldn't stick it in. So for the entire offseason, I stayed in my car that game. And so I was so – one of the few times that Fran and I got into it was at that game because we're up 27 nothing, and he pulls me. The one at, 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 at Georgia. At Georgia. Because I want to run it up on them. I want, I want to run it up on them well, like now, nobody's business. That was a game, too, that I happened to – I'm 32 years old at the time. Okay. And I'm seated next to a guy by the name of Furman Bisher. Okay. Another name you remember from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. great sports writer from right, Atlanta right. Constitution. Yep. And he's sitting there and he said, young guy, he said, I've seen a lot of games between the hedges. Mm-hmm. This was at halftime. Mm-hmm. The score was 21 to nothing. Right. He said, but you know what? That 21 to nothing is more like 70 to nothing. Mm-hmm. I've never seen those dogs trashed around like Kentucky has today. Mm-hmm. And he was right. Mm-hmm. And, and Fran and, wouldn't let you tack on a few extra. No, I wanted to run it up. Did he I like want, Vince that much? Or? Uh, I don't know, Rally. He was just trying to preserve me from injury or what. But I yeah. wanted to run it up on him. I wanted to because it was just humiliating for them to beat us that bad at our place for homecoming. Uh, you come back uh, the next week. You mm-hmm. take re- care of Virginia Tech 32 mm-hmm. to nothing. Uh-huh. You got three games to go. That, uh, hold on. That game was memorable. Virginia Tech. The reason that was memorable because that was our seventh, eighth game. Eighth. All season I hadn't thrown an interception. And that game I threw three interceptions the first half. And so (laughs) – Maybe that's why Fran didn't let you play that last quarter against Georgia. And so so when I came to the sideline uh, and Perry and I had this special, special relationship – he said, Rams, I guess you got all your interceptions out of the way. Now you can go play football, son. <laughs> <laughs> you you have three games to go after that. Uh-huh. Vanderbilt, Florida, and Tennessee. Yep. And the worst thing in the world suddenly mm-hmm. starts happening. You start having guys drop dropping like flies. Mm-hmm. Injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh you go to you Well, you, after well, we, we skipped over Mississippi State. That's where I lost Dave Hopewell. Yes, that's right. That was and, fourth and, game. Uh huh. And that's when Will Grant came in, and that took that offensive line to another level. Another level. Because Willie was a different type player than Hope. Hope uh, was a very, very athletic guy. (laughs) Willie was a very, very nasty and tough guy. And so he brought a different element to that line that wasn't there at the time. Uh, you, You started losing guys against Vandy. Uh, no, we lost before that. Remember we lost Dave against Mississippi yeah. State. Then we lose Kovach with a shoulder injury early that year, uh, the third or fourth well, uh, Then you lose Saganos late? No, we lost Saganos in the Florida game. We lost Saganos in that Florida game. Well, that was next to the last game of the season. That's right. That's what I mean. The last three yeah. games – you well, lost the last, three or four guys. Actually, actually, just that Florida game. Florida was the most physical game I ever played in as a collegiate, high school, or pro. 
because in that game, that's the one where I separated my shoulder. Art broke his big toe. Jerry had uh, strained ligaments in his knee. We lost Saganos, and we lost Rick Hayden. Yeah, Rick was one. Uh-huh. All in that so, Florida game. So you get up to Tennessee, and of course, yep. all the others didn't matter once you got to Tennessee. You right. Hit well, and man. you 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 you've got some missing pieces of the puzzle, uh, particularly defensively. Tennessee was very very fortunate. They were fortunate because if we played them three weeks earlier, we'd have beat them by forty points. They they were really fortunate to catch us that that late in the season. But uh, again, that was a game that I was not going to let us lose. I wasn't going to do it, though. I knew that our defense was would keep us in there, and Mike came in and made a couple of plays for us. But I knew if we kept that thing close, I was not going to let us lose. The, the, the incredible thing that I remember of that game, a couple of things. The one mm-hmm. thing was is that uh, at least as the story was told after the game, mm-hmm. is that Fran got almost three quarters mm-hmm. out of Art Steele before they figured out he That's had right. a, Broken broke toe. <laughs> and it was sort of a misdirection play because uh-huh. they weren't going to run to his side. That's right. And there was sort of a misdirection play in the backfield. They had to go to his side. Mm-hmm. And the coach at Preston said, he can't move. Right. He can't move. Right. And they ran another one. Uh-huh. And the when they ran it. the other one, Kersey and the staff said, uh-oh, they've caught on. Right. But you got three quarters out of them that's not right. running that side. That's right. I mean, that's how dominating the big fella was. And I tell folks that all the time, this guy – there would be whole halves where they wouldn't run a play to his side. And so what we started to do that year, if you remember, Big O, they would put Art to the field, and they would run the team into the sideline. They wouldn't run against him. You get late in the game, you're down mm-hmm. 17 to 14. Mm-hmm. You're backed up inside your 10, and mm-hmm. Fran brings in uh, Mike, Deaton. Mike Deaton, and right. he makes a pass or two. Once he gets it out near the 45, yeah. Big Ram comes back, Let's and it's just a matter of time. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you weren't going for any field goal. No. <laughs> no. No, because, uh, again, at that time, uh, our guys knew we were the better team. Our guys understood that history hung in the balance. And we wanted to be remembered as the greatest team to play at Kentucky. Because one of the things, one of the things, now I'll, I'll share this with you. You know, over the years, Babe and my relationship, I mean, just blossomed. I uh, really respected him. And as well as George, I had a great relationship Blanda. with Blanda as well. But Babe what we would always debate about was whose team was better. And I said, babe, it's real simple. We're the only team ever to go undefeated in the SEC. You never beat Tennessee. That is correct. You did. That's right. And it's very seldom now. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 as the game ends, uh-huh. Kersey gets his victory ride. Right. For a packed house. Mm-hmm. Probably – and I know I'll get some debate about this from some mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. The night they beat LSU, mm-hmm. the night that Kentucky upset Alabama in overtime, mm-hmm. that stadium was rocking that afternoon mm-hmm. after you beat mm-hmm. Tennessee, ten and one, mm-hmm. a season well, that's been unmatched in mm-hmm. the history of the stadium. Mm-hmm. Well, how but, did you feel? 
I felt like we had delivered to the fans uh, because, oh, even in those early years, we still sold the stadium out. And then when it wasn't sold out, it was pretty close to being sold out. So, again, we got a chance to reward these fans for their commitment to us. We owed them that. Now you're you're through with your college days. Uh-huh. You get ready to go for the draft. Right. Even even the great Derek Graham said no, he was going to be playing a new position in F. No, I didn't. You didn't? No, I didn't. Uh I uh I had gotten drafted by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Of the Canadian football yep. league. And I was negotiating my contract with them as well as the Oakland Raiders myself. And had Hamilton paid me in U.S. dollars rather than Canadian dollars, I was going to Canada because I wanted to play quarterback. And so we couldn't get that worked out. And so when the Raiders drafted me, I'd kind of fallen in the draft because – I was scheduled to play in the Senior Bowl. I played in the, uh, oh, jeez, now I'm having a blank here. Played in the, the bowl out in Palo Alto. And they had told me they were going to play me a tight end in the Senior Bowl. So I just backed out, didn't go. And so a lot of teams were concerned that if I didn't play quarterback, that I wasn't, I was going to Canada. And so the week before the draft, the Steelers had called me and said, we're going to take you in the second round, but we have to have assurances that if we draft you, you're not going to Canada. Because there's a lot of conversation about that. And I said, "Uh, no, I'm not going to Canada. They said, what we would like is for you to come over here to Pittsburgh. We'd like to have our first couple of picks We'd like to have them here in Pittsburgh. And I said, no, uh, I'm going to be with my family. And they took that as a, uh, he's going to go to Canada. And so then I go from being a potential second round pick to now down to the fifth round. And so Kansas City had drafted Art And I guess they had some conversations with Art about me. And so Kansas City called me and they said, uh, you know, do we have your assurances that if we draft you, you won't go to Canada? Because at that time it was 12 rounds. And so a fifth round was relatively high. And so I said, no, I won't be going to Canada. But I'm thinking to myself, I sure as heck don't want to go play for Kansas City. I mean, perennial losers, I I don't want to be a part of that. And so then the Raiders called me, and they had to pick just before the Chiefs. And they said, uh, do we have your assurances that if you come over here and we're not sure where we're going to play you, uh, but it probably won't be quarterback. Was that Al's team at the time? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You you had a ten year career in the NFL, mm-hmm. which is a long, long time for mm-hmm. the typical mm-hmm. NFL player. You mm-hmm. had uh, Ended six up with nine years, years, nine years, nine years. Got, mm-hmm. uh, you had six years with the Raiders. Five, three, and one. Five, three, and one. Five with the Raiders. Three with New England, and my last one with, with Detroit. Yep. 
the uh, the Raiders you actually got to play for two Raider teams, uh-huh. Oakland and Enough. L.A. Uh-huh. What, what what was it like playing for Al and and then going between the two cities? Uh, I love playing for Al. At that time, everyone in football wanted to play for the Raiders because of how Al was. Uh, Al, was LaMonica still there then? No, no, he, he was, was gone. gone. When I got there, Stabler was there, David Hum was there, and then in my class, they, uh, San Francisco had just released Jim Plunkett. And so Jim came over to the Raiders. And you got a ring while you were there. I did, 1981. But Al and I, we had a great relationship. I learned from him uh, business. I learned about life. I learned about strategies. We had a great relationship until <laughs> until my third year there, 1980, where I said, uh, 1981, where I set every receiving record for tight ends. And I had signed a five-year contract at the time. And... I wanted to have it renegotiated because I knew what I was making and I knew what Winslow was making and I knew what uh, Ozzie Newsom was making. And so Al uh, was in agreement to, to extend my contract. He just wanted to add on and I wanted him to tear up and start over. And so uh, we got into a debate and the debate became very, very heated. And so he benched me, and uh, our fight started. And so uh, I refused to play behind Todd Christensen. I thought it was an insult. And Al was like, this is my team, and this is what we're going to do. I said, well, I'm not playing. So I would come to practice every day and just sit on my helmet, wouldn't participate. Game time, we get out there, I sit on my helmet. I wouldn't participate. So we went through that, the 1981 season, or 1982 season. And so we had a conversation that off season, and I said, Al, if you're not going to let me compete for my job, uh, I don't want to be here. Well, I mean, he was kind of full of himself. He says, everybody wants to play for the Raiders. I said, well, I don't. Not if, not if I'm not starting. No, I don't. And so we go into the 83 season, and uh, I had a great preseason, and Tom Flores said, well, you know, Rams, you know, uh, I think you should be starting tight end, but Al thinks differently. I said, well, I'm not playing, Flo. So we go for the first couple of weeks, and that kind of came to a head when we came over here to play the Bengals when I wouldn't go in the game. And uh, he tells me when we're walking off the field, I don't care what you do, just get the heck out of here. I just want you out of here. No problem. So the guy that had been my coach my first three years, four years with the Raiders was the offensive coordinator with New England. His name was Lou Erber. And I called Lou and I said, Lou, Al told me, uh, just cut a deal. He don't care where, he just wants me out. And uh, we had tried that the year before. He said, Al's not going to trade you. I said, no, Lou, he, he says he wants me out of here. He wants me out of here now. Well, the Patriots was having a tough time trying to sign Mike Haynes. And so they sweetened the deal a little bit. They traded Mike Haynes and Hasselbeck for me and a draft pick. And so that's how I got to New England, and, and uh, magic was made over there. I had my best years as a pro over at New England. So – Post NFL. Yep. 
you uh, get into what? Post-NFL, well, I had been in the real estate business since 1980. So I did that from 1980 until 1994 when the market crashed. And at that time, I decided I had to. I was at a crossroads in my career and uh, had always kind of wanted to move back home, home being Kentucky. And uh, so that ended up being the right time. And so I moved back here, and it's been since that time, since 94, it's been between a university setting and political setting. An interesting part about that, though, back as a undergraduate, uh, those were the two things that I was most interested in is politics and uh, athletics. But on the uh, administrative side, the coaching piece never really interested me much. I, I like the bigger picture. You had a couple AD jobs, Kentucky yeah. State uh-huh. and Coppin State for right. what, seven or eight years? Seven and a half years, yep. And and then you got back into the other line. The I other. think you worked for Ernie Fletcher for a while. I did. And you're now working for Governor Bevin. Bevin. That's right. Uh, what what lures you to, to politics? Uh, my dad. Again, my dad, when we were growing up, uh, one, we could not have dinner until my dad got there. We always ate as a family. And my dad would tell us he didn't want to hear any of us complain about anything. He said, so you have to get a seat at the table. He said, if you don't get a seat at the table, don't complain about the scraps falling on the floor. So all my life, I've been trying to get to the table where decisions are made. What'd your dad do? My dad delivered gas in the community. Gas? Yep. Yep. Natural gas or? No, he would deliver, you know, we're a farm town, so he would okay. deliver gas, he would deliver kerosene, I all out you. to the farmers. Yeah. Uh, so your work ethic comes from him? Uh, he and my mom. I saw, I got to see two parents work two jobs up until my youngest brother got to college. So when it came to my football, uh, I just outworked people. Just outworked them. I would be in that dang weight room, whatever it took to win. You know, and also when when Art and I came to Kentucky, all of our friends in particular once we assigned with Michigan, well, Michigan was a perennial winner. The thing I told them is that why would I, because they were saying, why would y'all go to Kentucky out of all places? They don't have a winning football. But, oh, when you've won four state championships, why would I ever think I'm going to lose? Did you visit Kentucky before you signed with them? No. Uh, no, like I said, it was late It was late in the game. and, and uh, So you, you actually signed sight unseen. That's right. Was it, was it Arch the same way? Or did no, we, we were together. Whatever it I mean, was. Yeah. But, I mean, he'd never been to Kentucky. No, 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 we took all our trips together. So, who was the main selling point? Fran Kersey? The, sell, the selling point was the this. The assistant? Uh, Nicolau, Nick and I had a very, very good relationship all the way up until the end of his life. We had a very good relationship. He was always honest with me. And he would tell me, you know, well, you know, kid, you're kind of stinking it up. And 
I like that, that whole, because again, I moved from Florida to New Jersey with a coach, not a granddad, not an auntie, a coach. And so I've just always had these relationships with coaches that went way beyond the player-coach relationship, as in with Fran. Fran and I talk. We never go a month without talking three or four times. Well, what 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 kind of an influence has Fran been to you Fran over was, your life? Fran was invaluable to me because, and part of the reason also, um, I came here. Fran in 1950 and 1951 was a quarterback at the University of Miami. All-American. That's right. And so Fran got to hear Guinea Wap, all those negative things that I was going to later face while playing here at UK. So the football was a part of it, but more of the growth as a young boy to a man and the realities of what life really has out there. He helped me with that and continues to. You just finished episode 87 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Our many thanks goes out to Derek Ramsey for taking the time to speak with you and Oscar. Well, part three of Oscar's conversation with Derek, and that will be episode 88, which will be released very soon. You heard Derek Ramsey talk about Bob Bradley, who was the longtime academic counselor for UK athletics. For more on Mr. Bradley's career, check out episode 80 and 81 of Conversations. Those episodes and more can be found at oscarcombs.com or subscribe to Conversations through iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And each episode will be automatically downloaded to your mobile device for absolutely free. Catch the big O on Twitter. He's at Wildcat News. On behalf of Derek Ramsey and Oscar, I'm Bo Robinson, and thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go Big Blue.